Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Story time. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I was about 17 or so, living in upstate New York. It was deer season and I was hunting on a raised area between two swamps. This was a great spot akin to a super highway for the deer. Mind you, this spot is not close to roads, being about two miles in. The day was pretty cold and windy. Snow had fallen a few days before and was frozen solid. I was sitting on a low branch of a hardwood that made a perfect natural tree stand looking down between the swamps. My buddy was about 200 yards away over a rise at the end of one of the swamps in a climbing tree stand. Around 8 in the morning, I see movement from the end of the deer run between the swamps. Pick up my binos to look. While scanning the area I see movement again. The object was white, obscured by some pines, but I saw it moving. Then, out of the brush it came. I f you not, a clown. Rainbow frizzy hair, red nose, the whole works. He didn't have on any cold weather clothes that I could tell. He was just kinda wandering around that area looking at the ground. Then I noticed a pistol in his hand. Kinda creepy for sure. I had not walked in from that side so there were no tracks leading my way from where he was. I leaned back on my perch putting the tree between him and I and took off my orange vest. No way did I want this weirdo seeing me. 
My vest was a blaze orange mesh kinda like a jersey so I stuffed it in my cargo pocket. I peek out again. The clown is sitting on the deer run where he came out, facing me. He is about 100 to 125 yards away. He just sat there for about an hour. I kept looking at him through my binos while staying as much behind my tree as possible. The guy or clown was rocking back and forth with the pistol on his lap. Then, he got up, fished through his pockets and pulled out a set of those wind-up teeth. He wound them, tied them to an overhanging branch on the trail and let them go. The teeth were chattering away. He turns toward where I am, gives a thumbs up in my direction, does a clown laugh and does a clowny sideways run into the bushes. I'm sitting there thinking. WTF did I just see? I sit there until around noon. No other noise, head is on a swivel, or movement. Drop down from my perch and put my vest back on. I cut over the hill and cross the swamp, frozen, and head to my buddy's stand. I gotta tell him this. Even if he thinks I'm making it up. I find the run he sets up on and follow it in. Around a stand of birch, I see him up in his stand and head right for him. As soon as he sees me he starts waving his arms and gives me one of those hand slash under the neck signals. I freeze. Pull out my binos and look at him. He is about 75 yards away. He does the neck slash thing again, the points behind him, around the tree. Then I hear it. That damn clown laugh. A lot. He looked freaked out. I sat there near the birches for what felt like forever. With my rifle at the ready. The laughing has stopped a while ago. My buddy finally starts climbing down the tree. He comes down the trail to me and says there's some dude dressed like a freaking clown fooling around near my scrape. Then I told him what happened at my spot. We split and told his older brother. A few of the adults all wanted us to show them where this was the next morning. The next morning we headed out toward my spot. When we got there, there were now three chattering teeth hanging on the trail. We found tracks in the snow. Clown shoe tracks. We followed the tracks. The tracks cut the long way around one swamp and straight to my buddy's spot. There were chatter teeth handing there too along with one of those rubber chickens. At this point, they believed us and went all out to find this guy. They never did. Tracks eventual lead to a parking area near a pond a few miles over and disappeared. We were cautious in that area for a long time after that. Relatively recently here in Sweden we had a bit of a whoopsie. A visiting hunter from Norway was, for some reason best known to himself, out at 4 a.m. He was using a thermal imaging night scope with a recording function. Thanks to that record function, he's now charged with attempted murder. He took aim at a 75-year-old man jogging. And squeezed off a shot. 200 meters. 338 Lapua Magnum, with residential buildings as a backstop. The old man miraculously survived, but his hip was totally F-ed. Now, this sack of Norwegian S claims he was sure that this running biped was a road ear. Okay. But they were out of season, and you're not allowed to shoot them in the middle of the night either. What does he do when his target goes down? Picks up the rifle and runs. Away from his victim. Most of us think he pulled the trigger by accident. Still a massive D head for aiming at a non-target. So. What makes me worried when I go out hunting? There might be a dumbass Norwegian out there. Edit, Google Norwegian Hunter Shoots Swede and look for an article for the local. The video this guy's scope recorded is there. Would you call it attempted murder? I'm not entirely sure myself. Still, apologies to all the Norwegians I seem to have upset. Please don't shoot my granddad. It was a day etched in the memories of those who witnessed it, a tragedy that cast a somber shadow over our once vibrant group of outdoorsmen. It wasn't my experience, but that of my buddy, his dad, and some of their friends. They were a tight-knit group, bound by a shared love for the great outdoors, until one fateful day changed everything. The air was crisp, 
carrying the scent of pine and the promise of adventure as they set out for their usual outdoor escapade. The camaraderie between them was palpable, laughter echoing through the dense forest as they navigated the familiar trails. Little did they know that the day would unravel into a nightmare that would haunt their collective consciousness. They reached a fast-flowing stream, its waters rushing with a deceptive intensity. Undeterred by the apparent challenges, they plunged into the clear waters, confident in their camaraderie and familiarity with the wilderness. Among them was my buddy's dad's best friend, a seasoned outdoorsman, clad in his trusty waders. As they waded through the stream, the waters proved more treacherous than they had anticipated. It's unclear whether the sole factor was the weight of the waders or if other unseen forces were at play, but tragedy struck. In the blink of an eye, the rushing stream claimed one of their own. The once vibrant and lively atmosphere turned solemn as they watched in helpless horror. The realization of the irreversible loss hung heavy in the air, an indelible stain on the fabric of their shared experiences. They scrambled to the water's edge, grappling with the cruel reality unfolding before them. The laughter that once echoed through the trees was replaced by an eerie silence, broken only by the unrelenting current of the stream. In the aftermath of that tragic day, the group of avid outdoorsmen found themselves irrevocably changed. The wilderness, once a source of solace and joy, now held a shadowy reminder of a friend lost to its depths. The light-hearted banter that used to fill the air became a somber echo of what once was. The impact rippled through their lives, altering the very essence of their shared passion for the outdoors. The thrill of the hunt and the serenity of fishing lost their allure, overshadowed by the specter of that fateful day. It wasn't a conscious decision, but a collective retreat from activities that had once defined their friendship. The wilderness that had once been a source of joy now bore the weight of an unspeakable tragedy. Their shared love for the outdoors became a bittersweet reminder of a friend who ventured too close to the edge, forever lost in the unforgiving currents. The camaraderie that had bound them together endured, but the untamed beauty of nature now held a darker, more complex truth that none of them could escape. Story about my dad, who was a hunter but was not hunting at the time. We were all hiking, but dad wanted our car to be at the end of the trail so we didn't have to hike two times as much. So he drove a short while up while we got started. He knew the trail better than us, which is easy when none of us have ever been on this trail. He could catch up, though. That is, if we were on the same trail. There was a fork that the rest of us got too and the only instruction was to stay on the same path. However, this was a very tight why, and logic dictated either of them could be the same path. So we elected left. That was our first mistake, however we found campers so when it rained we had a safe spot. We thought dad had gone missing so we were trying to send him messages so when he got to the rare spot with service we could meet up. Dad cleared the entire trail like three times that day looking for us, and cell service was going to be non-existent on the trail with the rain going on, so make that two mistakes on us. During the night, as he was desperately looking for us, thinking we had gotten lost, he heard a loud crash right behind him. He looked and about a foot behind him a large tree had fallen. He was that close to being killed. Needless to say, we were coached on trail safety afterward. If you do not know where you're going, Go back or wait for help if you can't find your way back. Not a hunter, but I live in the deep south, and when I was a kid, my family owned a big stretch of property in the woods, we still do, technically speaking, but I don't live close to there. My favorite place to play was out in the middle of the trees where I could pretend to be a fantasy adventure character or hunt fairies or whatever, I was little and really into that. However, at some point, I started to discover abandoned hunting camps and stands. Not abandoned in the sense that no one had used them in a while, not unusual in the off-seasons, but abandoned as in half-eaten cans left to dust and rot, sleeping bags left there just to ruin in the rain, 
and things in general left in a state that suggested they left in a hurry. At one point, I found an abandoned stuffed animal and a pillow that were literally moldy. Logic says maybe the owners are just super irresponsible, but when I was like seven, it gave me a really bad vibe, and I didn't go that far out again. Then, later as an adult, I saw a boar, and I was like, hmm, perhaps not. I've seen old yeller, lol. I wasn't there, but my son, son-in-law, and their friends saw a dog man. My son called me all freaked out, thinking they had encountered a Bigfoot because he knew I believed in Bigfoots. Now, my son had always made fun of me for believing in Bigfoots. He asked me, Dad, can Bigfoots run on all fours? I said yes, and he asked why. He replied, Dad, we just saw one out spotlighting rabbits. I asked him to describe what it looked like, and he said they were hunting rabbits with a spotlight. He saw something hunched over, thinking it was a large bird because it was down like it was eating something. Then it stood up on its hind legs, spread its arms out wide. When the others came to look, it dropped down and took off faster than anything they had ever seen before. He described it having a dog snout, covered in fur, but visibly muscular. My son, who is six feet tall, felt it stood as tall or taller than him. When it took off, they ran after it, watching it jump and clear a huge rock pile in one leap. This scared them, and they all ran back to their car to get out of there. I spoke to all three, and they had the same story, describing it in the same way. I told my son that it's not a Bigfoot because Bigfoots don't have dog snouts, he saw a dog man. It's funny that this happened around a lot of cornfields, and the area also had caves and was covered in sagebrush. While bow hunting on Mount Emily in late August of 1982, I must admit I am not sure of the exact year, but it was 1981 to 1983, my wife and I drove up to the summit from exit 243 on I-84. We were camped closer to the main highway. When we arrived at the top, I noticed what I thought was another hunter sitting by a tree. As we drove past, I turned to look again, and this creature stood up and walked across the road to the hillside and started to go down. When it stopped and looked at us, I realized it was not a hunter and was much too large. It vanished over the hillside. I got out of my pickup and went to that spot to look. It had been standing next to a tree and appeared to be the same height, approximately 8 feet. The fact that it stood up and walked several feet before it disappeared convinced me it was not a bear, besides the fact that there are no bears in Oregon that tall. I can provide you with information about what I have seen, but it was 21 years ago, so a few details are hard to specify. When this happened, keep in mind I was only 12, and it was 1981. I initially told Joe it occurred in 1982, but upon reflection, the math didn't make sense. I retrieved my old Boy Scout materials to pinpoint a more accurate date for you. It was June 1981, and my scout troop embarked on a backpacking trip in the Three Sisters Wilderness Area. We reached a place called Green Lakes about eight and a half miles in. The trail was rough due to horse activity. We set up camp in a meadow right at the edge of one of the lakes, at the base of one of the Three Sisters Mountains. There were still small glaciers in the area, but it was warm, and the sun was shining. We engaged in typical scout activities like fishing and exploring. The first night passed without anything unusual happening. As I recall, we didn't build a fire due to high fire danger, relying on fold-up sterno stoves for cooking. In the middle of the second night, I had to get up to relieve myself. The full moon illuminated the meadow reasonably well. When I turned to return to the tent, I saw a large, dark creature crouched down drinking from the lake, or at least, that's what it seemed to be doing. It was about 125 to 150 yards away. I froze, unable to move. I may have soiled myself, as I remember. 
The creature turned and ran very fast into the tree line. Initially, I thought it was a bear, but when it ran, it was on two feet and slightly bent over. As soon as it disappeared, I somehow regained control of my body and jumped into my tent, hiding in my sleeping bag. I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. The next day, I sneaked away from the rest of the group and went to the spot where I had seen it. The grass was mashed down, and there were no tracks. I couldn't flatten the grass as much by walking on it, indicating it must have been heavy. When I shared this with the other boys, they accused me of making it up and flattening the grass myself to scare them. They called me a baby and suggested I needed to change my underwear. That was the last day of our trip, and we packed up and left. I positioned myself in the middle of the group, thinking I would be safe if anything were to follow us out. I never joined any more of the troops hiking outings after that, only tailgate events. Upon returning to town, my scoutmaster, a Forest Service employee at the time, pulled me aside and told me he had seen things in nature that couldn't be explained, and it was better left that way. I hadn't shared this with anyone else until I found Joe Ederling's website. I forced myself to relive this experience to provide more detailed information. However, there are a few things I don't understand. I didn't smell anything bad or hear any strange sounds. I believe this creature was drinking from the water with its face, not its hands, and at that distance, I couldn't even tell if it had hands. The previous fall, a friend and I were in the same area below, walking and checking out Highway 35 at the Baseline Drive Junction. In 1980, two years before this, the highway had flooded and washed out, and we were just looking to see how the rebuilding process was going. We had stopped on a large pile of gravel to rest and talk a bit when what I thought was a man walked out of the woods and sat upon a stump. I asked my friend if he saw the man up there on the hill sitting, and he said yes but that it didn't look like a person to him, that it looked strange. So, we decided to walk towards it to get a better look, it was about 600 to 700 feet away when we first saw it. We walked to where we were about 300 feet away. At that distance, we could both see that it was not a man but covered with dark brown hair. It did not move but seemed to see us, looking directly at us the whole time since we had started walking toward it. After looking at it for a moment, I decided to wave my arm at it to see if I could get a response, and it did move a bit, kind of back and forth, like it was trying to see better or size us up. I'm not sure which. At that time, we were so excited and scared, discussing going closer to see if this could be Bigfoot that I had heard of, and so we did, out of sheer adrenaline, I'm sure, because I was scared, I know this for sure, and my friend was too. So, we reached the bottom of the small foothill it was on but had lost sight of it because it was back a ways from the crest of the top. We decided after a bit of discussion to go up toward the top of the area that it was in and did. When we got there, we could see the creature was gone, but we arrived at the stump that it had sat on. There was no hair or evidence that anything was there except the tree had just been felled, and in the center, as is usual, there were spikes that had been sticking straight up but now were smashed flat and broken. This is no easy task unless you were to hit them with a sledgehammer. The grass was smashed all around the stump, and we could see where it had walked back into the tree line and followed for a couple of hundred feet or so, but we were so frightened that we left after only five minutes or so. However, we did see back in the trees, away, there was a meadow with small young fir trees, and their limbs touched the ground. Under one, there was a bed, sort of like an elk bed but much larger, approximately 15 feet long by 8 feet wide, and it looked like a large man had laid there propped up on an elbow or something. We left immediately after that and never saw it or anything like it again. I know this is strange, but I swear to God this really happened, and I have not told but a couple of people to this day. Still, I know that it's out there, and I've seen the tracks and hair samples to know it's there. My grandfather saw it back in 1974 on Fir Mountain, and I was allowed by Peter Byrne to go along. Ever since then and from those two experiences, 
I'm convinced that the creature is out there, and so I just wanted to share this with you. My buddies were walking through a forest path, one late night, but it wasn't dark because this story takes place in the land of the midnight sun in the summer. It was after a party, and they realized they had left their smokes back at the party. All of a sudden, a wild crazy man appears, stumbling out of the bush. He's wearing an old housecoat and using a hockey stick as a walking staff. He asks them if they have a light, and they say yes, so he gives them each a couple of smokes and disappears back into the bush. The creepy part was that they had said out loud that they had no smokes when this guy randomly popped out. Less creepy, more scared the crap out of everyone. This happened when my husband and I were in our 20s. We stopped at a small river in the middle of nowhere with several friends, looking to scout some fishing spots. This river was only about 15 to 20 feet across most places. We walked about a half mile down and found what looked like a good spot. We were standing around checking out the spot for about a full minute. All of a sudden a redneck in cutoffs burst out of the water with a massive catfish on his arm. He was noodling or hogging underwater. Dude had huge scars up his arms. He was a rough fella but we chatted with him for a good bit. Hard not to be impressed, and a little intimidated. We were glad we brought friends. Grew up in rural Allegheny County, New York, so far in a woods that the house I grew up in still has no cable service to this day. Everything is satellite, I had dial-up growing up which I was lucky to get 33 kbps on anyway I was an only child for most of my life so I spent a lot of time alone just playing. I found many cool little hunting encampments, old dump sites from the 60s, oil drilling operations long abandoned, etc. Years I spent out there never running into a single other soul except animals. One day I was visiting after I had gone to college and I walked up the back hill where we had buried all my many pets growing up, I liked to just say hi to them. As I was doing the round on the portion my mom kept mowed, I had the weirdest feeling all of a sudden and shot my head to the left. Into the tree line was a man, standing half behind a tree. Made no sound, made no movements and frankly I can't remember his face either but he was staring at me. He was wearing red flannel and I think jeans or boots. I was so utterly terrified to see someone after literally a decade of never seeing anyone else I just put my head down and walked to the neighbors where my mom was visiting. She went over to see and the guy was gone in the maybe 5 minutes it took me to get her. I'm sure it was a hunter or the neighbors mentally ill shut in kid maybe but like, it really unnerved me especially because I sensed him. For about two years I worked as an instructor at a therapeutic wilderness program in Western North Carolina. I was in charge of at-risk youth and my job included all the responsibilities and nuances associated with that. Shifts ran 16 days straight, on the clock 24-7 of that time, and all spent backpacking. Most of this takes place in Nantahala National Forest, DuPont State Forest, and Panthertown Valley. Here are some of the creepy things that happened to me and my groups out there. Teased by a hillbilly, without delving too much into programming and wilderness therapy in general, I do have to explain certain aspects of the job so bear with me. Because none of these kids are voluntarily in the program, some are a flight risk. To minimize the success of potential runaways, staff are required to sleep under an open tarp and between the doors of the tents. Often our setup looked like two tents facing under a large A-frame tarp with staff sleeping between. Another precaution is called boot line. The kids' boots stay lined up under gear tarp at night. Hard to run in your camp crocs. Anyhow this boot line is visible from under the sleeping tarp. So this particular night we were camped in some of the most far-flung areas the program goes to. 
We simply referred to it as Parkway Expo because our expedition often begun with being dropped alongside the Blue Ridge Parkway and hiking into the rugged wilderness that surrounds it. It's a spot called Wet Camp Gap. From the sleeping tarp I can see the boot line across camp in the direction of my feet. It's my job to wake up once every three hours for silent headcount. I wake up for my 3am check and turn on the red filter on my headlamp. I have a weird feeling. I first scan boot line. Something isn't right. 13 pairs of boots. Takes some time to register. Usually when something doesn't feel right there's a pair or two missing and a kid or two gone. There's only 12 kids. At the end of boot line there's a pair of tall men's hunting boots. Staff boots aren't kept there. As this dawns on me in my sleepy haze I snap to reality, sit up and switch to my white light. It casts light across the camp and the second the light fell on the hunting boots, the man who had been standing in them the whole time suddenly turned and walked off into the brush. That was a moment of sheer terror as I jumped up after him. He was long gone by the time I wiggled out of my sleeping bag. The following day we were packing up and making breakfast when a group of three men walked through the field we were in. The trail runs right through it so it's not unusual, but they came out of the woods from a strange angle perpendicular to the trail. I was over in the far corner of camp with one co-instructor doing a daily briefing when they entered just a few yards away. They stopped and looked at us. All were armed. I recognized one's boots immediately. Gave me a scare last night, I said. None spoke. Only stared blankly. You guys okay? You lost? Still no response. The situation feels uneasy as they stare at us, gaze unbroken. Here, let me show you my map. It's already in my hand. I get up from the stump I'm sitting on and approach. The trio suddenly turns and walks on across the clearing and out of view. I was glad we were moving the opposite way and only had one more night till our pickup and transport to base camp. That final night we're all sound asleep. About 2 am or so. The night is broken by a blood-curdling scream. It's my female co-instructor. She's frantically running her fingers through her hair and completely inconsolable. I get her away from the group and calm down enough to speak. She says she woke up to what she assumed was a large spider or a mouse in her hair, but when she turned on her headlamp she was greeted by the face of the tall booted hillbilly in night vision goggles. He'd gotten almost a full braid in before she woke up and he fled. We never saw any more of them, but she never came back for another shift either, the poor thing. A few weeks later the local S and R found a woman who'd gone missing nearby. She'd been accosted by a man and tied to a tree then left there. She was found alive something like four days later, still bound. Surrounded in Panther Town, Panther Town Valley is a special hiking and camping area within the larger Nantahala National Forest. Entirely different group. We were camped down on the valley floor, in a pine forest down from Salt Rock. This stand of trees is particularly creepy simply because it's cold and dark even on sunny days, but nights are plain eerie in there. It's getting toward bedtime, 9pm, and we're gathered around the fire having nightly circle. The quiet evening ritual is broken by a huge crash. It's in the direction of our bear hang where all of our food was suspended from a tree out of reach of bears and raccoons. We all boot up and run over. The bags are all laying on the ground, but no animals in sight. Had the rope snapped? No, it came untied. I joke at my group's expense about shoddy knotwork. They re-secure the setup and we return to camp and settle into bed. About midnight. Bam! The bags have fallen again. Now I'm mad. I don't like waking up to re-hang food because of something as preventable as a second botched knot. I just wake up the boys. They swear they tied it right. Doesn't matter, we have to rehang it anyway. Everyone boots up and drags over. This time I'm gonna tie the damn knot. I'm mid-lecture or not lesson when across the stand of pines the dying fire suddenly goes black with a hiss and our tents disappear into darkness. It wasn't raining. Someone had just doused our fire. We can hear their footsteps. Now some behind us. 
We grab the food bags and run back to the tents. Nobody there. Footsteps all around us in the woods. Branches being broken off trees everywhere. This went on until at least 4 a.m. The next morning the only evidence was a plethora of freshly broken off pine branches and a half-charred baby doll hanging from the rope where our food had been. A winter apparition, my second winter there I was with a group at our primitive base camp. Basically a collection of different yurt camps on the grounds of an old Christian camp. It had just snowed that evening and a fresh blanket had covered camp in the hours since we laid down for bed. At about 1 a.m. a student woke me to go pee. I was required to stay awake until he got back in. He did his duty, then returned to the yurt. There's somebody out there, he whispered nonchalantly. Huh? I said. I saw a guy up by the fire pit just now. Dude in a flannel shirt just standing there. I got up and looked out the yurt window. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Nothing. I figure he's probably just out of it. We go back to sleep. About an hour or so later I have to pee. I slip my camp shoes on and walk outside the yurt. Upon returning I glance up by the fire pit to see a man standing there in the moonlight looking at me. I could see the plaid pattern on the flannel it was so bright. I immediately go for my brand new high-powered hand light and cast 900 lumens at him. He vanished before the beam hit him. Just gone. I wake up a co-instructor and we search camp to make sure another group doesn't have a run in progress or something like that, but there's nobody. Even more unsettling than that, there's not a single footprint in the fresh snow around camp. No place for a carnival. One last story I have from that job. This one still bothers me. I was reminded of it by the mystery of the staircases in the woods. I was leading an expedition over the Devil's Elbow from our main base camp into Panther Town Valley. We had decided to spend a day on a nearby detour to some waterfalls. We'd seen two so far and were deep into a bushwhack looking for a third one. We were struggling through a thicket of briars and brambles when suddenly everything clears. No trees, no bushes, no briars. Only an overgrown grassy clearing. Dead in the middle was a rusted old ferris wheel. It wasn't huge, probably only 30 feet high and obviously built for smaller children. It was rusty and sun faded with tall grass grown up around its base. We just stood there in silence, unsure of exactly how to process it. There was no reason for that to have been out there. Somebody, at some point hauled that thing in piece by piece and assembled it there. The question is why? When I was working as a backpacking guide in Western North Carolina my schedule dictated a full 8-day shift with 6 days off. During those 6 days myself and other co-workers would play in the woods. In the summer you can't beat a mountain swimming hole. One of our favorites was called Paradise Falls, alternately called Wolf Creek Falls. This is a cliff jumping spot with a huge swimming area, a tiny slot canyon, and an inner pool. Most will venture to do the small jump into the inner pool. Even though it's the smallest jump it's arguably the least accessible. Even though the jump is 9 feet at most, you must work through a 10-minute rock scramble to get to the top of it. We were all venturing in and from inside the tiny canyon you can't see the main pool. Well we got to the jump and coaxed the first person off. A fellow guide who had never been to the spot before. She jumped successfully and swam out into the main pool and beach area. Then she screamed. Because she was now out of sight, myself and another guy jumped in together and swam the short distance to her, with the others in tow. Of course we figured she was injured somehow. She was treading water and just staring wide out at the riverbank. 
When I looked to the shore there stood a man. He was massively large. Easily six foot six and a little change. He wore beat up overalls and no shirt. There didn't appear to be a hair on him. Perhaps the most disturbing was that he had folds of skin all over his body. Imagine the Michelin man but made of flesh. His face, his arms, chest. Everything had a uniform layer of shingled fat rolls. And he was brandishing a shotgun. The area around Wolf Creek is just holler after holler, but there are a few residences. And those few have been there for generations, propagated by the same families. These people don't like outsiders and so they keep relations within the family. I could only surmise that this individual was the product of inbreeding over decades. He just stood there and watched as we scrambled to grab anything important and stuff it in a bag. He just stood and watched as we high-tailed it out of that basin and back toward the parking area. He never said a word. I live in the heart of the largest ponderosa pine forest in the world. This makes for a beautiful, albeit rugged wilderness that can shift from pleasant to dangerous, empty to heavily populated in the blink of an eye. Phoenix and Flagstaff are separated by 100 or so miles of pretty isolated backwoods driving. There is one stretch between communities where there aren't homes or residential areas at all for about 50 of those miles. This is National Forest for Outdoor Recreation. The only buildings are ranger stations and one space observatory that is pretty far back into the forest. The observatory has many weird legends about it, like being privately owned by the Vatican, which there is some evidence for. My mom was driving between townships in this very isolated span of woodland when she came upon a boy walking down the roadway. He looked to be maybe 15. My mom doesn't stop for people as a general rule, but she turned around and decided to help the kid out. Only when she circled back around did she realize her mistake, the pedestrian wasn't a boy, but a small man, close to her age. He had boyish characteristics, but was dirty and strange. Even his clothes were weird, almost too plain, as if handmade. He tried to get in the car but my mom kept it locked. She questioned him for a bit and learned he was an android, trying to make his way back to the colony. He explained there was a camp of homeless people, what he called vagrants, that were being reconfigured into androids. These androids weren't allowed to drive, or interact with humans as a whole, that was not unless they became separated from the rest of the colony. This wouldn't stand out as strange if not for all the other stories I've heard about this place, a ramshackle place with plywood buildings and other roadside trash coaxed into shelter. Cult and commune are the usual labels, and word is they all dress exactly the same. My story begins on the Long Island Expressway back in December of 2001. I drove a black sedan for a car service from Delaware to JFK Airport in New York. I made the trip dozens of times and knew my way around the side streets on my route. One night around 12 AM I was on my way to JFK when a car exited the Tulane Expressway at a standstill. I talked to my passenger, let's call him Steve, and decided to take the side streets. We jumped off at Sheep's Head Bay and started on our way. We began talking about how creepy the name Sheep's Head Bay is when, from out of nowhere, a 1957 Chevy Bel Air appeared. Steve jumped up and threw his arm over the side passenger seat and said, Dude, check out that car. We both looked out the driver's side window as we came to a stop at the red light where we were about to turn right. As the car came to a stop, we continued to stare at the car. It was beautiful. Chrome trim. Red paint. Convertible. It was December. It had to be low 30s. There was a couple in the car both with 50s clothing on. It was a short guy with a brown derby hat and a brown coat. The woman had a scarf draped over her head like a hood. Big round framed glasses and a leather coat. My passenger yells out, nice ride. Both of them turned slowly in unison and looked at us. Black eyes. Huge black eyes. We both froze. As the light turned green, 
while still looking at us, they began to make a left turn. We sat there stunned as the car drove north towards Manhattan. While still a bit stunned, we make the right turn. Not a word was said between me and Steve. He slumps back in his seat and says, what the hell was that? I had no answer. We continued down the road where I saw that the expressway was open so we jumped on the ramp and we were back on course. As we entered the expressway I could see the blue lights of emergency vehicles in the distance behind us. We were on the expressway alone. No other traffic ahead or behind us. It looked like smooth sailing from here on out. Steve, at that point, was still shaken and he climbed back to the front and hopped into the passenger seat. We started talking about what just happened when I could see the headlights approaching in the rearview mirror. The first thing I thought was, I must have been speeding. I moved to the right lane and basically waited for the blue lights of a patrol car to come on so I could find a place to pull off since there was no shoulder to pull onto. All of a sudden the headlights moved to the right. I can't believe it I yelled, the car. It just jumped over the curb onto the sidewalk and began to pass us on the right. Guess who? The black-eyed couple was back. They passed us at over a hundred miles per hour. We looked over and with telephone poles flashing between us, the driver looked at us, his eyes were glossy black, and again, without taking his eyes off of us, he floated back onto the expressway and rockets out of sight. I say float because the car never actually jolted as they jumped the curb and passed us. It just kind of slid onto the sidewalk. We continued down the expressway until we reached the airport. We didn't say a lot to each other as he got out of the car and grabbed his bag. Before he walked away he said Sheepshead Bay is a really creepy name for a neighborhood. It was the fall of 1998. I suddenly found myself separated from my husband and with two preteen children to support. Living in a small Kansas town, there was very limited employment options. I needed to remain close to home to attempt to keep a handle on preteen adolescence and still keep a roof over our heads. It was convenient when I saw an ad for workers at our local Walmart. The store was converting to a superstore and needed staff 24-7. So I applied. I got hired on as a department manager. I got dug in. I laid out the department and everything on the shelves on the day of the opening, including the shelves themselves, was put there by my two hands. The new store opened and school had started so I tried to keep my hours mostly to accommodate that, but weekend work was mandatory. Usually, I got to work early, there was only light register staff and I'd be the first department manager on the floor. It was early days for the new store, but the majority of the setup crew had departed the job site. One morning I arrived even earlier than usual. I had timed in and was just about to leave the freight room, when a young boy, about the age of my own two kids, rushed past me, nearly knocking me over. He started sputtering something about how his ID had been lost and he had to see CCTV to see who picked it up. The first thing weird about this is that I didn't know this kid. My kids grew up in this town and being a small town, I thought I knew all the kids from town and all parts around. The second weird thing was, back in 1998, it would be very unusual for any small town preteen to have an ID of any kind. I told him I knew nothing about it but he could follow me back to the office to inquire. There was only one lady back in the office. She was a member of the setup team and had been responsible for hiring me. I left him with her after a short explanation and went out on the floor to begin my day. But I had forgotten my scanner. So, I turned my heel and went back into the office area to get one. Immediately I could hear this kid becoming very aggressive with my coworker. He was ranting on insisting that he view the CCTV tape immediately. The human resources officer was trying to calmly explain to him that only security staff and the store manager could view it, and she would pass on his concern. Worried about my co-worker's safety, I crept closer to the door, which remained open. His back was to me, but looking past him I could clearly see, her whitened shocked face. The boy, sensing my presence, 
swung around and stormed past me and I assume, flew out of the building. Did you see his eyes? She exclaimed. Though in fact, I had, I said nothing. I think I was basically gobsmacked. And as it turned out, I never again spoke to her. That was the last time I saw her. When I inquired after her, I was told she was transferred, though others whispered, that she had been fired by the home office. The third weird thing was, look into the eye of a snake, and you will know what I saw as the boy fled by me. You are welcome to use this story, but please do not use my name. This is a true story and detailed to the best of my memory. Thank you, Jay. Here's my experience in 2018. I traveled to San Francisco with my wife who grew up there. We drove on August 19th to Muir Woods National Monument with my wife's sister and husband. It is an old-growth redwood forest fed by the waters of Redwood Creek. I worked for roughly 25 years as a volunteer youth sports coach and was very comfortable with children of any age. We arrived at the park at 9 a.m. It was a beautiful day, the weather was fair and the trail was cool enough. My wife and sister-in-law decided to wear sweatshirts for a hike on the Muir Woods Trail, a relatively short loop just under 1.5 miles long. I came upon the Bootjack Trail Loop which adds another 5 miles to the Muirwood Trail winding up and into the deeper canopy of the mountain forest. I told the others I'd meet them at the parking lot after completing the extra loop. I had my phone and carried my digital camera taking pictures of anything that caught my interest. I'd seen only a handful of other people on this portion of the trail. When nearing, what I believed to be, the top of the mountain I came upon a child standing on the trail. It was a boy around two years old. He seemed to have popped up from nowhere. It stopped me dead in my tracks. The boy was 10 yards away and did not seem scared or startled, he simply stood there. I was shocked. I quickly surveyed the immediate area looking for someone to whom this child belonged but there was none. We were completely alone. Along with the feeling of complete bewilderment, I felt torn. Part of me wanted to pick the kid up and the other part of me was terrified to touch him. I started to talk to the child, asking, are you okay? Where's your mom and dad? The child answered with a single word that I did not recognize and continued to repeat that word. I thought maybe he was saying Papa, but that was not it. It was more like he was calling me by this name. I was trying to determine where the child belonged or came from. I noticed what looked like a game trail in the ground cover below me heading up a rather steep hill to my left. The incline seems hardly possible for a child of this age to have navigated, but the area above seems open. So I climbed up to see what seemed like a campsite roughly 30 to 50 yards away. There's a guy who looks like he's packing stuff into his car. At this point, things become blurry in my memory. I'd have never left this child alone or left them with some random person unless I was very sure they belonged together. Yet, after this, all I remember is getting back on the trail and feeling like I had just dodged a bullet. I'd walked maybe 100 yards past where this all happened and it hit me hard how weird the whole episode was. I turned around to go back to the campsite to figure it out and start to see other people milling around other campsites. But the camp where the guy was is completely empty. No kid, no guy, no car. I get this urgent feeling like I've been gone a long time and my wife is going to start to worry about me so I start heading back down the trail at a hurried pace. In my mind, I feel like I need to get back as soon as possible. In retrospect, here are a few things I cannot explain. I don't remember trying to use my phone. Maybe I didn't have any service. I don't know why I didn't use my camera, it was in my hand. I can't remember what the kid looked like or the father. I can't remember delivering the child to the person I thought was the parent or any verbal interaction between us. I tend to be overprotective and cannot imagine that I would not have read this guy up one side and down the other for letting this happen. Looking back on my phone I had 8 photos starting from 9.30 to 10.30 am. On my digital camera, 
I have photos of various trees and scenery from the trail beginning at 9.30 and the last one at the trail. Using Google Earth I can clearly see that I took a photo at 11.37 am. About 100 yards before seeing this child. Then I took another photo at 11.48 am. 11 minutes later about 150 yards past where I saw the child. So I cannot remember roughly 11 minutes of the time that I spent with this child in the forest. I relay this experience to you because I feel like it means something. I want to know if that sounds familiar to anyone else. I want to emphasize that after the encounter I do not feel like I just saved some unfortunate child who might be lost in the forest. I felt like I escaped somehow. I've had a sighting of a very large bat creature. I was traveling not far from my home on the reservation where I noticed something flickering in the sky. Then this thing appeared about 200 feet in front of my car, standing about 12 feet tall with a wingspan of the entire width of the road. It was grayish brown in color and it had red glowing eyes, as bright as a brake light on a car. It looked at a snarling with long knife-like teeth. It took one step, didn't flap its wings, and took off into the air. I was glad I had my friend with me because that assured me it was real. I drew a picture of the creature. I can send it if you like. I live in Arizona, Gila River Indian Community, and this happened about 4 in the morning in December 2017. My friends and I saw some sort of dog-like demon thing in eastern Iowa. We were exploring this old house out in the country after dark, just looking around with maybe some mild vandalism. Well, we had checked out the upstairs and most of the downstairs when I saw a door that we hadn't been through yet. I grabbed the door handle and suddenly had a feeling of dread come over me. I slowly pushed the door open and noticed that the room was slightly lit up with a dim red light that had no discernible source. I got the door probably halfway open, then heard an incredibly deep growl and saw the upper end of a dog thing, probably around the size of a German Shepherd. Its teeth protruded past its upper and lower lips a rather significant amount, and its stance was super hostile. The thing that really scared me though was its eyes, they were glowing red. I noticed that there was blood and viscera all over everything, chunks of flesh and organs all over the floor, and streaks of blood on the walls. The smell was overpowering. I slammed the door and hightailed it out of there. Here's the part where I'm an idiot. I went back about noon the next day. I had a huge knife with me when I went back to the door, and slowly grabbed the handle, but felt none of the dread from the night before. I pushed it open and I kid you not, this perfectly square, windowless room, was literally coated in blood and fur. I could see what looked like three separate mutilated dog corpses. They weren't cut apart, they were shredded. I nearly threw up, shut the door, and left again. I'll never go back there again, especially after dark. Okay might not be as exciting or intriguing as most posts on here, but here goes. When I was younger I lived in a terraced, Victorian brick house on the side of a hill. One Saturday afternoon my dad and I were watching TV when we heard this swishing or blowing noise approaching from outside. At first, it sounded like it might have been some electric vehicle, like a milk float, but it got more more bassy, deeper as it got louder and then we heard it along with very slight vibrations passing beneath the house. We looked at each other, startled and confused and at that point it ended fairly abruptly. I've racked my brains for this for years but even now, I'm completely stumped. We were on a narrow street with cars going past semi-regularly. It sounded nothing like a any sort of vehicle I've ever heard. Plus, despite it first sounding like it was outside, it definitely ended up being something occurring beneath the house and it sounded quite deep. I'm thinking tectonic activity of some kind maybe? I'd love to figure out what caused this phenomenon and to even hear that sound again, but googling turns up nothing. Anyway, like I said, not a majorly exciting happening, but something I finally wanted to post somewhere.
This is only the second or third time I'm experiencing this, I have no idea what to think. This time, one of my shoes has completely vanished. I live in a small dorm alone, I wear these slip-on shoes when I go outside to take out the trash or if I won't be long. They get put back next to my bed every time I get back. Yesterday, I went to get up and put them on, and only one was next to my bed. No big deal, maybe I flung one under my bed. Nope. Nowhere to be found. There really isn't anywhere else to look because this is such a small dorm space. I looked everywhere anyway. Nowhere. I'm confused and I feel crazy. A few months ago, my Beats headphones also mysteriously vanished and I still have not found them after I use them every day. At this point I have no idea what to think. But I want to mention that sometimes when I'm sleeping I hear things fall or weird noises at night. It's a little creepy but I thought it might be coming to the rooms next to me or above. I always lock my door when leaving, there is no way for people to take something, and of course, why a single shoe? This also reminds me that sometimes things will duplicate. I have a pink calculator. Just one, I hate math as it is so why would I want more than one? One day I go to do homework, grab my calculator out of my bag. Go to open to my bedside drawer for a pencil, the same exact calculator. I have no idea where it came from. None of my friends have the same one. Really weird. Before we dive into this, we are not addicted to gambling, lol. I've been best friends with my buddy Q since 3rd grade, we're both 23 now. We've had our rough patches, but everyone does, and I'd do anything for him, the same way he would for me. Many unexplained events happen, but only when we're together. Neither of us has events like these happen when we're either with someone else or by ourselves. The first one happened literally like three weeks after I met the kid. I was staying at his house, and the power went out while we were writing down GTA 4 cheat codes on a notepad. We were pissed, but we just went to bed and started talking. Then, as a joke, we were like, let's do a countdown then the power will come back on, and on exactly one, the power came back on after being off for like 5 hours. We played tons of video games together during high school days, mainly Call of Duty, and we've both dropped nukes, very good games, but only when playing together. Never once have either of us gotten a nuke without playing with the other. Now that we're older, we go to casinos and play sports bets together. Every time we go with a different group of people, we almost always lose or make only $100. But every time we go together, we make a ridiculous amount of money. The same thing happens with sports bets. Every parlay I take without him never hits or hits for a very small amount of cash. But when we both place the same bet, it hits, and it hits big, literally last night on the Lakers game, we won a plus 5006 leg parlay. The biggest one, though, is two things that happened in one night. We were exploring an abandoned insane asylum when we walked into a bathroom, and immediately both of us were like, something's off in here, we should leave right now. We booked it out of the entire building almost like something was chasing us, literally terrified. Maybe three minutes after we left, the roof of the building caved in directly above the bathroom we walked into. Later that night while we were talking about it, we were in his house with the back door wide open, it was summer with no AC, and I was like, dude a bear could walk in right and before I could finish my sentence, he noticed a bear standing maybe 5 feet away from the open door. There are tons of other small or big things that have happened, and I know they're not the most convincing stories out there, but they're real. You just gotta take my word for it. When we get together, it's like the rest of the world has to listen to us, and it's honestly beginning to creep me out. Let me know what you guys think it is because neither of us is into that whole side of things, and we both notice it all the time. Just want to say this is the weirdest experience I had so far. I can't even believe I'm writing. So my girlfriend and I were in the kitchen and I was preparing some food. 
There's a door with a hallway that takes you downstairs to the garage, and there's a kitchen table next to the door. When I went to give my girlfriend the food, she literally was frozen for a good 5 to 8 seconds staring at the doorway, I asked her if she's okay and she told me there was a guy peeking around the door and she laughed. I went to look because I was startled and confused and wanted to make sure nobody broke in my house. There was literally nobody. I asked her if she's referring to the pictures on the wall which are family photos and she said no, it was a guy. I probably looked crazy at her because her next thing she said you probably think I'm crazy. Anyways. I'm confused and have no idea how to process this. Yesterday, a tech was at my house, trying to fix my heat pump. He mentioned he was having a lot of difficulties with it. My dog needed to go outside for a quick walk. I walked her for a short time, and as I was walking back at my driveway, I took a look to make sure the tech's van was still there. Good. I didn't want to have missed him if he had managed to fix it while I was gone. When I was quite close to my home, maybe a 15 seconds walking distance away, I looked and saw his white van was still there. However, another larger black van was now parked just past his. I could see the back half of it, and the details of it. A guy had gotten out of the van, and I could see the details of him as well. He was wearing jeans, a black jacket, and a black ball cap. He was thin, and young, maybe mid-twenties. He walked down a small hill to get to my basement door, which he opened, and I watched him go in and close the door behind him. I knew the tech was having problems with my heat pump, so I just assumed he had called in a buddy to help him out with the situation. That would be a fairly normal situation around here, rural way of working. I glanced down at my dog, and looked away for maybe a second or two, and then back at my house. There was no black van then there, no tech, just the original white van the tech was driving. They obviously couldn't have gone anywhere, I would have heard them, and seen them, and. It's my driveway. So there was nowhere else they could have gone. No other way out. Besides, the time was just seconds between seeing the van and the young man enter my basement and it all disappearing in the next moment. I went into my house and told the actual heat pump tech about it, and he was. Rattled lol. So, one night, when I was still living with my father, I had gone downstairs to the kitchen to get some water. While I was filling my glass at the sink, I turned around to find my sister standing in the hallway behind me wearing a plaid onesie and looking down at her phone which was illuminating her face. I hadn't heard her come down the stairs or walk down the hallway but the house was relatively new so it didn't creak much. I said hi then turned back to the sink to finish filling my glass. I turned back around because she hadn't replied and she was gone. I heard someone going up the stairs quickly and just assumed she'd just come down to see what I was doing. I finished filling my glass then headed back to my room, which I shared with her by the way. Once I got there, I realized she was in bed so I asked if she had been downstairs, she said she hadn't. I thought she was messing with me so I continued to ask and insist that she had been. Eventually, I gave up on trying to get her to confess. I don't remember why but I looked in our closet. Lo and behold, there was the plaid onesie, hanging in the closet. This all happened in a matter of a few minutes. It's possible that she really was messing with me but she seemed just as confused as I was. <laughs>